Hello, and welcome to Revolution 22's teaching podcast. We are a church from the downtown area in Boise, Idaho. Thank you for joining us today and hearing this week's sermon. We pray that God's word will be received and will bear fruit in your life. Amen. Thank you for coming today. It's good to see everyone on this Palm Sunday. We, we are not going to do something separate today. We're going to keep working through James, but I pray that today you will see how that can connect with Palm Sunday and the, the glories of what our God has been doing in his plans in that moment. Um, I'm going to take just a second, though, to remind you of a couple things that are going on. So if, if someone in here is timing my time, this counts as announcements, not as my sermon time, Brent. Okay. So we have coming up this week, Good Friday. We would love to have you join us Friday night from 530 to 630 here as we just prepare our hearts and think about all the wonderful and amazing things that the Lord God has done through his death on the cross. And then on Easter morning, we have two services, 9 a.m. and 1045, where we get to celebrate together the wonderful ways that God has brought us back to him in right relationship with him. And in particular, how he's done that as a loving father to love us and bring us in as his beloved children. And then next week on Wednesday, April 12th, we would like to invite all of the people of Rev to come to to uh, enjoy with us a time of praise and worship. Uh, We've been through a season where much has happened in our church, and we just want to sit before our God, to pray to Him, to praise Him for all of His good things that He has done, and to petition Him for more, that He might do even more good. Uh, If you're considering that time, there's things on our site about that, and we'd even encourage you to consider praying and fasting uh, from Easter up to that moment, uh, that your your heart might be drawn to be reminded consistently uh, to pray and to consider our Lord in that time. So if you're ever interested, there's these nice little white slips are kind of by the door. We have it on our website as well, but that's a great way to know some of the things that are coming up if you are interested. So my wife, Katie, and I, we got married in 2000. I was 21, just about to turn 22. She had just turned 19, 20. And we were so smart. We had our whole life planned out. We knew exactly what was going to happen next. To just to let you know about how bad we were with that, uh, we thought it would be a great idea that we were finally married, that we could now decide to buy a dog, and no one could tell us any different. Right? What could go wrong with two young working professionals buying a dog when, when one's going through college still? And of all things, we chose to buy an Alaskan Husky. Now, if you know anything about Huskies, they're not considered easy dogs to own. Alaskan Huskies, even more so. This dog, actually, his dad ran the Iditarod. If you don't know what that is, that's a really long race in the snow. He liked to run. And so every day, we would go out, and I would run this poor dog five miles just to get some of the energy out of him. I played soccer throughout high school and up into college, and that dog still killed me. But that wasn't the end of our planning prowess. Uh, we, we got married, and we had this plan of how this was going to work. So we, we got married, and we said, you know what? Uh, Katie has a, about a year, a little bit more to finish up college. So we're going to have her finish up her college. And then after we're done with that, I'm going to go to seminary, and I'm going to get my Master's of Divinity and go into full-time ministry right away. And we had this idea. We went to her boss, who she worked at Macaroni Grill at the restaurant at the time. And uh, her boss was excited to have me come work there uh, for the next year. And we thought, how cool this be? We'll work together. We'll hang out in the evenings. We'll have kind of the mornings, kind of free to be with each other. And she'll go to school, and I could even help her with that. Uh, we, we knew exactly what our plan was. So we got married, uh, went on our honeymoon, came back, back in the day when we had our answering machine that sat on the counter in the kitchen and had a little blinking light, 14, blinking at us. I was like, oh, okay. Press on the first one. It's a really nice guy, nice gentleman who was the principal of a private Christian school here locally. And he was saying, hey, 
we have an opening here. We, we need a teacher to teach third grade. Would you be interested in coming and helping? I heard you have a teaching degree. Uh, would that be of interest to you? If, you, if you're interested, give me a call back. And, and I heard that. I'm like, man, that's nice. I mean, who doesn't want to feel pursued, right? Someone asking you if you would have a job. And I did have a teaching degree. I had enough uh, classes and courses with my majors that I decided to add on a teaching degree. And I wasn't planning on using it right away or in any way. Uh, but it's like, you know what? Now we got our plan. We're good. Hit to the next one. Same gentleman saying, hey, got an opening for a third grade teacher. Curious if you'd like to call me back. And the next one, same gentleman. And the next one, all 14 messages were from the same guy. (laughs) And by the very end, he was basically begging in a very nice way, would we please consider helping him? Sadly, he'd had a teacher quit on him last minute, and he needed someone to fill in. He was saying, would you come in? Would you consider teaching? Just even if it's for a couple months, give me some bandwidth to find someone else to get in here and help, which at that point, by the time I got that last message, was literally only two weeks from that moment that I got the message to start school. So Katie and I talked, and we prayed about it. And we, we said, well, you know, I'm only planning on working at Macaroni Grill, which, come to find out, pays way better than a third-grade teacher. And, and we decided, you know what, that's not that big of a deal. Let's, let's maybe shift up our plans. And we asked a bunch of people, felt through counsel, like, we want to be helpful. We want to be encouraging here. And so we said, you know what, we think this is what God has for us. Let's go ahead and, and do this. You know, fast, fast forward in our life, fast forward a long time in our life, 2015, 15 years later, you know, 2013, that's when I find, 13 years later, that's when I finally went to seminary. Six kids later, three jobs later, two houses later, two cats, and a partridge in a pear tree just thrown in there for good measures, right? It was not the plan that we had. Uh, we had our plan, but that's not what God had. Now, I'm sure none of you have ever had this happen. You know, show of hands for me this morning, if you were the person who knew what you wanted to do in high school, went to college for that degree, graduated with that degree, and are still working in that field today, one, two, three, four, five. Yeah, that's about what first service had, five, right? How many of you went through life and weren't sure what you wanted to do in high school? Didn't know what you wanted to do after you got out of college or even just out of high school? How many of you are not at all working anywhere where you thought you were going to be working when that stage of your life happened? Yeah, most of us. Isn't that amazing how God uses different paths in different ways? And that's true for us even when it comes down to something as simple as our Saturday night evening plans and how they don't go quite the way that we thought they were going to happen. You know, our God has a plan for our life that we often don't realize until we're in the middle of that path, and we see it beginning to shift and change and go different directions. And that's what we're going to talk about today. You know, James has been trying to encourage these Jewish Christian friends that he's writing to that have been dispersed all over the place for us to be encouraged in God in several different ways. Um, as we talked about through our little diagram here, a little picture, that he started out with the idea of trials and sufferings. This idea that God is not always most concerned about us getting out of the trial or the suffering, but rather what we might get out of it. That in fact, God oftentimes uses suffering, uses trials to, to produce steadfastness and faith, a love for God himself and a joy in knowing him more. You know, we see that James encouraged us to be people who are obedient to God's word. That, that our faith might not just be an intellectual faith, but a faith that has very real ramifications in how we walk out our day-to-day life and how what the Holy Spirit has been doing in us uh, has practical implications. And then most recently, we've been talking about this section about pursuing peace. The idea that when things do get hard between us, uh, when, we, when we bonk into each other as friends in arguments and disagreements, how do we look first and foremost to the peace that we have in God? As we, as we care for one another. 
know, today we're going to kind of move on into a different section. And we've talked about how James is kind of hard to nail down. He's not got one consistent train of thought through the whole letter. Rather, he hits certain issues again and again. But this section, James seems to be largely talking about a godly perspective. This idea about how God perceives the circumstances of our life very differently than we do. And how we should all desire to conform our lives to be much more like God's perspective, to come from where he's coming from. You know, when we go through our next uh, four sermons, this is where we're going. It's all about godly perspective. You know, today's in James 4, 13 through 17 is about planning and provision. Now, how we need to, to consider how God thinks about our planning and how he thinks about the provision and goodness he gives us. The next section from James 5, 1 through 6 will be all about rotten treasure, this idea of those who store up wealth and what it really means in your life. Uh, James 5, 7 through 11 is going to be all about patient endurance. How do we patiently wait for our Lord who comes again someday and his desires today? And then James 5, 12 talks about our yes and our no and how we use those words in our life. You know, all of these are about heart problems. Uh, this week, not excluded. You know, we all have a heart that doesn't fully understand the godly perspective that he's working from all the time. And specifically this week, what we're going to look, look at is how we don't have his perspective on plans and the provisions and the goodness of God. You know, in this section of James today, he has one main argument that flows through this entire section. Let's look at it together. It's James four thirteen through 17. It says, Come now, you who say... Today or tomorrow, we will go into such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make a profit. Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. As it is, you boast in your arrogance. All such boasting is evil. So whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him it is sin." We can see that the, the passage starts right off with the argument. He says right from the very beginning, come now, you who say, today or tomorrow we will go into such and such a town and spend the year there and trade and make a profit, yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. And James is making up a hypothetical here. And we know that because he's using the generic you and such a town. But he's likely bringing that up from something he sees in, in the attitudes of these friends that he knows. He's trying not to call them out, but rather make it generic. And it's true for so many of us that I'm glad he did that. You know, look at the different components that we can pull out of just this one statement from James. <coughs> he talks about several different aspects. He talks about today and tomorrow. He talks about going to such and such a town. He talks about spending a year. He talks about trading. And he talks about making a profit. You know, in, in one sentence, James is, in, is engaging us on many different ways that we plan. You know, this first section is talking about the when. How so often we're concerned to plan about the when something's going to happen. The second one's talking about where, this idea of going to such and such a town. Where is our next uh, goal going to happen? And to spend a year, the duration, that's one way that we plan oftentimes. Uh, to trade, that's his purpose, the goal of this imaginary conversation that he's having. And then the last one is to make a profit, this idea that we, we want to plan for things that would be good for us. I mean, let's be honest. Like, there's some of us here who this first one, the when, is really, really important. Now, some of us, some of you, I'm included in this group, we use things like Asana, Todoist, Monday morning, different task lists. It may happen on a sticky note on your desk. It may just be a running list in your head, but you're constantly trying to consider the when am I going to get this done? When will it happen? Now, that's not wrong. It's not bad. In some ways, that's actually stewarding your time very well. But the helpful question is, how disappointed are you when it doesn't get done in the order that you wanted it done in or done at the time of day that you were hoping it would get done at? 
And we all feel that some way. Uh, when you call up a friend and ask them to take you to the grocery store, you mean sometime today, maybe tomorrow. You don't mean next year. And when we think about our plans for our tax rebate, you really want it to have happened last week, not in six months from now. We all think and plan about this idea around the when. <laughs> As I choke on my water, sorry. <laughs> it's similar when we talk about um, where we want our plans to happen. You might not think about it often, but where matters a lot. <coughs> where matters a lot. If you were living in a town that you just hated, it was dreary all the time, it had a paper plant so it stunk, uh, it was on hills and they iced up in the winter and you just didn't like it, uh, those sort of experiences would make things just like going about your everyday day-to-day work or, or picking up your kids from school really frustrating. And on the other side of the spectrum, if you felt like God was calling you to take a job in Maui, Hawaii, you would probably all debate that today if that email came across your screen. And then... On the other end of the spectrum, imagine if you felt like the Lord was calling you to be a missionary today in Bakhmut, Ukraine, on the front lines of the war, or perhaps even being one in Tehran, Iran, where the consequence of being a Christian could even be death. You know, the where matters in all of our planning. It becomes sort of the backdrop that's in our mind of how this plan is going to work out. And duration has a similar effect. It's sort of amplifying effect about these many difficulties that we might face in our plans you know, when we first started our house remodel, you know, I told my wife it was going to be like, like maybe eight months, a year tops before we wrap that thing up, right? And there's so many things that I couldn't foresee that were going to happen. I couldn't see like the consequences of COVID, supply streams and stuff like that. But I only ended up being off by like four years, <laughs> right? And I think that's really affected her ability to trust my estimation skills <laughs> at this point. You know, we all plan with duration as a major component we're convinced that we can do really difficult things if it's just a couple days, maybe a week. I could maybe do a month, but years, right? Similarly to James's situation, we often have an optimal time range for our goal. You know, here it was to go spend a year, but how would you, how would you like it if your two-week vacation was shortened to two days because of issues? Or, or what if you were stuck in that vacation place for two years, Duration changes how we think about it. But one of the most important things that we oftentimes think about when we think about our planning is the purpose. What am I trying to get done? What's the goal of what I'm doing? You know, here in this example, it was to trade, to go do business. But so often for all of us, it's, it's accomplishing a business task. It's making sure our boss is happy with us. Are our kids content? Does the house look clean? Are our friends enjoying their time with whatever we are doing? In fact, we'll all often donate our time, our money, to purposes that we think are valuable, even if, even if it feels difficult for us. You know, we oftentimes order our plans around the purpose we feel and what needs to be accomplished most. It'd be interesting what we could learn about each other if we looked at our week and looked at what we all chose to do with our time, what we valued most, what we said was our greatest purpose that week? Was it the tyranny of the urgent? Was it, was it these issues that really weren't that important, or did we actually engage with what needed to get done? And amidst all those things, all the different ways that James is talking about planning, all the, the when, the where, the duration, uh, talking about the purpose, we, no one plans for things to go poorly. <laughs> That's what happens here, right? They want to go and make a profit. They don't want to go into this city and have a loss, you know, who, who wants to have bad things happen? 
Uh, we want to have, uh, no one wants their day to go badly. No one wants their party to be a flop. No one wants to go to the barbershop and come out with the worst looking bangs you've ever had cut on your head. You know, we want and we plan for good, not for hard, not for trials and not for suffering. Yet as we've seen in James, James encourages us that God uses those trials, those sufferings, those difficult things that we might know him and might love him more. But it's up to you and me. We would never plan that into our schedule. We'd never have that happen and we would never have the joy of knowing God more, of becoming steadfast and having our faith grown through situations like that. If our plans were always turned to the good we imagined, what might we miss in God through that kind of planning? And James says, Come now, you who say, Today or tomorrow we will go into such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make a profit. In one amazing sentence, James is trying to engage so many of the different ways you and I plan and all the ways in which it doesn't work. And he says this, Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. None of us do. None of us know what tomorrow is going to look like fully. I think we would all agree that doesn't happen. We don't see our day pan out the way it should or the way we'd expect it to most often. And as always, James has scripture rolling around the back of his mind. It seems like he's thinking about Proverbs 27 here because it sounds so similar to what he just said. Do not boast about tomorrow, for you do not know what a day may bring. And none of us knows that. And that's not even a distinctly Christian idea. Our friends and our neighbors, they understand and know that so often they plan and it doesn't happen that way. You know, but James here wants to give us a, distinct, a distinctly Christian way of living in our planning. Uh, rather than plan and fail, plan and fail, plan and fail. You know, James's argument picks back up again directly in verse 15. Uh, it starts right here and it says, instead, instead of doing that, Instead of you making all these plans for the when, the where, the duration, the purpose, and having it fail, instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. And instead of planning what we can't guarantee will happen, what if we listened to and sought out what God was planning for our life? And again, James seems to have the words of Jesus echoing in his mind because he spent so much time with him. Jesus, who has told us how to pray to our God, what that would look like. And he said in Matthew 6, Our Father who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. The will of God. This idea that God has a plan, that God has a purpose. He has a will that he is executing for his glory and for our good. He knows exactly what he is doing. Listen to what God says through the prophet Jeremiah. He says, For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for welfare and not for evil, to give you a future and a hope. God has good plans for us, even amidst difficult trials. And we should be praying that his kingdom would come, that his will would be done, just like it's currently happening in heaven already today. This is the fundamental shift that James wants us to have, the ways he wants us to change our hearts. Instead of thinking about our plan as though it is the most important, to look rather to God's plan. That our day may look out of control. Things may not be getting done in the order that we want them to. Plans may have to change, yet they are not out of control for God. God knows exactly what he's doing. How often, when you are struggling in your plans, to get them done for the day, do you think about how much God knows and how much God loves you 
in the midst of that moment of change, of the plan not going the way it should. Do you remember that Jesus said this? Jesus said in Matthew 10, Are not two sparrows sold for a penny? And not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your father. But even the hairs of your head are all numbered. Fear not, therefore, you are of more value than many sparrows. I had a friend recently tell me that she was encouraged by the idea that her list, her plan, was not her real life. That when things changed throughout the course of the day and the list wasn't getting done, that was really God coming in and bringing what was really meant to be for her life into her moment. You know, that she, he was giving her exactly what she needed for that day. Have you ever thought about that? That that's God engaging you lovingly to give you what your day needs? You know, the hard thing for all of us in walking this out day to day uh, is, is, the, is the idea of how broad James makes this statement. Now, look what he says here at the end. He says, instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. Live and do. I mean, that one word do in doing, he's packing up all the things that we were talking about from, from the first part of his argument, all the whens and the wheres, the whys, the purpose, the goals for it to be good. He's saying, you need to submit all of those to God, but even more so, even more so, you need to be willing to submit your entire life to God. The fact that you even have a chance to have a breath this day. We, we don't think about that often enough. That our very life is held in God's hands. That he bought it in Jesus Christ on the cross. Look what Jesus told his disciples when he gave them this parable in Luke 12. He says, and he said to them, his disciples, take care and be on guard against all covetousness. So in other words, desiring, sinful desire over something. For one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. And he told them a parable saying, the land of a rich man produced plentiful. And he thought to himself, what shall I do? For I have nowhere to store my crops. And he said, I will do this. I will tear down my barns and build larger ones. And there I will store all my grain and my goods. And I will say to my soul, soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, fool, this night your soul is required of you. And the things you have prepared, whose will they be? And we can see from this context that it's about someone who's actually prospering, being given much almost monetarily, which is a good reminder for those of us here in America who live in the top 1% of the entire world, no matter how poor you are in America, is that we will likely struggle with this kind of planning. It's exactly our prosperity that makes us think we're in control, that we should plan it out to the nth degree. It's, it's, yet we all have to trust God's will, and we all have to give him over our entire life. You know, Paul would say it to this extreme, Paul would say, so whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God, 1 Corinthians. Right? God's plan changes the goal of every day of our life, every aspect of our day, even down to the aspects of how we can eat and drink, that he might receive glory and we might continue to be grown in him. That's a hard thing to believe and to trust. To trust God's plan for our life so much down to each little minutia like that and allow him to have control of it. But have you ever thought about our brothers and sisters through scripture and how difficult it was? Can you imagine being Abraham? Here's Abraham. He's sitting there with his father, Terah. They seem to be fairly wealthy, fairly well off, but he doesn't have any children yet. And God says to him, Abraham, I'm going to make you a great nation. I'm going to give you children. You need to, to, to come with me, though. You need to leave everything you know. And come to this land that you've never been to before. Not even knowing half of the difficulties that Abraham was going to face and the trust that that would take in him. 
Have you ever thought about what it was like to be Noah? Being asked by God to build an ark for 120 years? Can you imagine what your thoughts were on year 40? On year 60? On year 80? As you're wondering, is this really going to be true? If I keep working on this, is there really a flood coming? And this is going to be to my benefit and it's going to be our salvation? Do you think his neighbors were cheering him on through that whole process? You know, this happens again and again throughout Scripture where God calls for this kind of trust from his people. We see it in, in, judge, in his judges and in his kings. We see it in his prophets. We even see it in the New Testament through his disciples. Jesus comes up to Peter and Andrew while they are fishing, and he says in John 1.35, follow me. And they do. They drop everything to go follow Jesus. They leave behind their, their fishing business, uh, a lot of their family obligations, and they go and just do what Jesus has asked them to do. He says the same thing to James and John in Matthew 4. On the one hand, we might say, okay, maybe I can do this. Maybe I can fix this. I just need to kind of modify how I say things and how I engage this. I mean, Paul says something that might be helpful all the time. He says, but on taking leave of them, this is him leaving the, the brothers and sisters at Ephesus. He says, I will return to you if God wills. And he sets sail from Ephesus. I mean, Paul says this all over the place. He says it in Acts. He says it in Romans. He says it in 1 Corinthians. Uh, this idea that, that he would just remind them every time he said something, if God wills. Right? He seems to easily add it to all of his statements. Yet you and I know this isn't just a verbal problem. And we could add something like that to a lot of our statements and still desire inside to, to plan, to control, to want to have it our way. And we could never say that and still truly deep inside want to be submitting our life and our plans to God. And the reality here is that we have a heart problem. We have a heart problem that we need the Lord to help root out and deal with. You know, James identified it here in verse 16. Look what he says. He says, as it is, you boast in your arrogance. All such boasting is evil. Now, this is the, the most clear picture we have from James of the heart problem behind our planning. He says it's that we boast in our arrogance, or actually arrogances. It's a plural here. We have a lot of them. <laughs> Boasting is this idea of to put your confidence in something. James uses it two times here in the negative, but Paul uses it 33 times positively. To put your confidence in something can be neutral, whether it's what you're putting your confidence in. Paul talks about it most often as putting your confidence in God and Jesus and what he's done. So James here has to help us identify what are we doing that's wrong then by putting our confidence somewhere. We're putting it in our arrogances, in our competency in our own life, our, our, our desire to trust ourselves. It's as if James is saying that you and I, that we get a certain pride in ourselves, in the planning of our future with such confidence. It makes us feel good. I feel like I know what I'm doing. I've got it down. I can affect what's going to happen next for me. John says this about that problem in 1 John 2. He says, Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, and the pride or boasting is that word, boasting of life, is not from the Father, but is from the world. And the world is passing away along with its desires, but whoever does the will of God abides forever. I mean, James, James and John here are like on the same wavelength. James has been encouraging us that we don't want to pursue the things of the world. We want to trust our God who is singularly good, looking out for us, who wants only the best for us. And John is saying, when we turn to these things, the desires of our flesh, the desires of our eyes, and the boasting of our own life, 
how important and good we are at figuring this out. That is us turning to worldly confidences, worldly hopes, and not putting our hope in God alone who can provide, as John says, the one who does the will of God will abide forever. I don't know about you, but that's definitely one of my heart problems here. I want to see that confidence, be excited that I figured it out. I know exactly what to do next rather than submit it outside of myself. You know, where is your heart? Where is my heart? When we realize that God is demanding his will be done on every aspect of our life, from all the small everyday doings to our entire life itself. Now, James sees that heart issue and he pokes at it, but he doesn't solve it the way I would have thought. You know, to get to this heart issue, James wants to say these things to me and you. Look at these two sections we haven't looked at yet. He says, what is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. And then he ends with, so whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him, it is sin. <clears throat> How do we combat our, our arrogance, our arrogances, uh, these ways that we are confident in ourselves and our life? James tackles this problem so differently than I would have by just saying this, what is in your life? What is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. I love that about James. Like if it was me, I would have gone back to how little we trust God. In fact, so many of the things that James brings up in the very beginning, these ideas about how good God is for us, his singular desire for us in James 1.5, the idea that only good things can come from God, our father of lights in James 1.17. But that's not what he exhorts us amidst our arrogance. He uses this imagery of our temporariness, the fact that our life is very, very short. Why does he go there? That's an interesting place to go. If you haven't noticed, this is actually a very common theme throughout Scripture. Psalm 39.4 says, O Lord, make me know my end and what is the measure of my days. Let me know how fleeting I am. Behold, you have made my days a few handbreadths, and my lifetime is nothing before you. Surely all mankind stands as a mere breath. The psalmist in Psalm 102 says, My days are like an evening shadow. I wither away like grass. Job, in the midst of all of his difficulty, says, remember that my life is a breath. And then the psalmist in Psalm 90 says, so teach us to number our days that we may get a heart of wisdom. It's this last one that I think is really helpful to us this morning. When we begin to to look at our reality that our life is so short, in the scheme of all the goodness and amazing things that God has done, is planning on doing, uh, spending the remainder of time with him, Face to face, this is but a breath. And, and the psalmist says that in examining that, it begins to work wisdom in our heart. It begins to work different kinds of wisdom, all sorts of a myriad of wisdoms. And I'm only going to pick out two this morning, ways that I can see how this would help you and me to ponder our, our days, the shortness of our days, especially when it comes to our planning. You know, on the one hand, some of us really struggle to make decisions. It's almost paralyzing to realize there's options in front of us. What do I do next? And to decide what would please God. Remembering that our life is just a a vapor. It's a moment. It's like a mist. And that this side of heaven, we're never going to know what the best choice is. In fact, there might be no best choice, but just many good choices. We want to grow and move forward in our relationship with God. We want to seek prayer and counsel and move forward by making a decision. And to realize that our life is short can encourage us to put one foot in front of the other begin to step forward, to trust God with what comes next, that he is a good God who's going to provide for that decision 
where we make to not allow us to have our life get stuck and to pass us by. You may not be that kind of person. You may be more like me who runs headfirst into walls too quickly and has to back up. But you likely have this experience in your life as well, which is this problem. We often are slow to change direction once we're in the groove that God has got us in. And we get comfortable. Our job gets comfortable. Our house is a comfortable place to be. Our church can even get really comfortable. Now, comfortable is not a bad thing in and of itself. But if it's not what God has called you to, and it's the reason you're not willing to change, that's a problem. You know, on this count, I want to encourage and thank Bren and Jen Angelos. And for the last 17 years, they have served in ministry, 11 of which were in this church. They were here for the joys and the difficulties. They cared for people well. And then God made it clear that the season might be changing. And they had a choice. They could have continued on and said, no, I know where I'm at. This is what I'm doing. This is the plan. This is what's comfortable. This is what's easy. Or they could have listened and changed. And I want to thank them for listening to God. Even though it's been hard for them, even though it's been hard for our body to go through that moment, to listen and know that they are walking rightly with the Lord is so encouraging. Have you thought about how hard that would have been for you to change paths after 17 years? Maybe you're in the same place and you can take encouragement from that decision to say, maybe God's calling me out of a rut, something that's been comfortable for me and my life is but a breath. I should not expect that God doesn't have a myriad of things he wants to teach me and he may need to move me around, but that is what I need to learn. So this is where I can find and come to him face to face even more. You know, being willing to move out of our comfort is difficult, but we are a breath, a vapor. Life is so momentary. We should want to redeem every minute as much as possible by God's grace to walk fully in his will for us. And I'm also so thankful that James ends this section where he ends it. He says, so whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him it is sin. When we look at scripture, there's no right job. There's no right person to marry There's no right college degree. There's no right plan for your workout schedule. There's no right plan for your date night. There's no right plan for the next day. There are many wrong answers, many wrong answers, many things that in and of themselves would be sin if we engaged in them. But there could be many right answers. And what James wants to encourage us is that as God moves on our heart, as he moves on our heart through counsel, through prayer, through his very Holy Spirit, Something that might have been okay can actually become sin for us if we're not listening to him, if we're not doing what he has asked us and is calling us to do. You might think that that God doing that, taking something that's actually okay for someone else, you know, if it's okay for someone else to go do this, that it's not okay for me, is mean. But it's actually a grace. It's a huge grace on us. It's a grace because, you know, Katie and I likely could have taken that job as a teacher or gone ahead and taken, uh, continued to work at Macaroni Gill, gone off to seminary and done what we thought was our plan. But the moment that God began to lay something on our heart, the moment through wise counsel, through reading his word, through prayer, through our conscience, that we begin to feel a call to do something, that's actually affirmation. That's good grace in our life to realize that, that I can no longer go this way without going against the very will of God for me, not for everyone else. 
that it can become sin in my life. That is a sweetness of God to give us that kind of conviction, that kind of understanding that we can confidently move forward in our life, knowing that there are a thousand right answers, but in trusting God and, and doing our best to submit to his Holy Spirit, we can move forward. You know, I have a friend who was once asked to take a hard job. Uh, he was asked to come be a pastor at a church that had a, a long-standing pastor, 30-something years. It was well-beloved, really uh, enjoyed, and he knew he was in a hard pickle. <laughs> if he took the job, he was going to be compared. <laughs> he was probably not going to do it nearly as good as this beloved pastor, and there's going to be many, many difficulties. If he said no, people were not going to like him. <laughs> people were going to be frustrated at him for saying, no, I won't do it. So this friend was, was praying one evening in front of the sink, washing dishes and basically asking the Lord, Lord, can you bring someone else into the picture? I don't want to have to make this decision. I don't want to have to go down this road, but especially I really don't want to go down the road of doing it. I feel like that's going to be so hard. It's going to be so hard to be compared constantly. It's going to be so hard to pick, pick up this burden and move down the road. And he felt like the Lord said to him in that moment, what if, what if this is the way that you come to know me and love me more? What do you say to a moment? But, but God, yes. That is what I want, God. No matter what you're asking me to next, as long as it's not evil, Lord God, if I get to know you more, if I get to love you more, if I get to see more of your hand in my life, yes, God, that is what I want. We, we all plan in a myriad of ways. And we take the when, the where, the duration, the purpose, and even the goal of the time to be good, and we plan and we plan and we plan. And instead, James is encouraging us that we should desire to do whatever God wants, whatever his will is, what his plan is, not our plan. We should seek his will, not our will. And in doing so, we will trust him with both the little pieces of every day, but also our entire life. And to do anything different would be arrogance, is what James has told us. And James wants to encourage us that one of the ways to combat that arrogance is to focus on, on the shortness, the brevity, the momentariness of our life to realize that we are but a vapor in a moment and that by God's grace, uh, we should want to make decisions moving forward, both trusting him for those difficult decisions that he puts in front of us, trusting him when he's taking us out of our rut of comfort and ultimately trusting him with everything that he asks of us. You know, we, we want to walk out God's plan for us knowing that whatever he's called us to do for each of us, it will become sin if we don't actually follow him. It's part of us not submitting to his purposes in our life. And some of this morning, some of us this morning, we likely need to repent. Probably need to repent of our desire to hold on tight to our plan and to try to, to try to manage where God is taking us and make sure it's the right thing to do. You know, Job, Job had to repent that way. If you remember Job, Job had it hard. Job's plans did not at all go the way he thought it was. He lost his family. He lost all of his livelihood and income. He lost his house. His wife even stopped being an encouragement to him, yet encouraged him to kill himself. And here's what Job said in all this. He said this. He said, I know that you, you God, can do all things, and that no purpose of yours can be thwarted. God had said to Job, who is this that hides counsel without knowledge? Job was convicted by that, that he was doing that. He was asking questions without knowledge. He said, therefore, I've uttered what I did not understand, things too wonderful for me, which I did not know. God said also to Job, hear, and I will speak. I will question you, and you will make it known to me, as though Job had all the knowledge of God's plans. And Job says back, I had 
heard of you by the hearing of the ear, but now my eye sees you. Therefore, I despise myself and repent in dust is dust and ashes. And Job had to repent. He didn't know God's plans. He didn't know where he stored the snow. He didn't know where Leviathan slept at night in the deeps of the ocean. He didn't know the sparrows of the field and how God fed them. Again and again, he had to realize God's plans and God's ways were so much bigger than his that he had nothing to do but to trust God had good for him, even in that most difficult of moments. Now, today is Palm Sunday. And one of the things that we're doing in this season of the Christian calendar is reminding ourselves, remembering about the amazing and glorious nature of God's plan. It didn't look like God had a plan at one point. It looked like sin was winning. It looked like sin had entered with Adam and Eve and they had failed and been kicked out of relationship with God. It looked like sin had won because it had had woven itself into human nature so much that we all walk with sin nature born into us. And you could see throughout history and scripture that we needed a solution, some way to come back to our God that we might be in right relationship with him. And what God did starting in Palm Sunday, starting with the birth of Jesus, starting before time, was never a plan B. This was always plan A. God knew in creating his people that they would sin, that they would want to fall away from him, and that did not deter him. That did not deter him from wanting to lavish love and mercy and grace on me and you. So he still created that we might know that love most fully through his very son, Jesus Christ, who died a sinner's death on the cross and rose again in hope for all of us. That is our God's plan that he has activated from before time and is still walking out today in hope that one day we will be back with him face to face walking with him rightly, fully cleansed of all of our sins in the new heavens and the new earth. You know, whether you need to repent today or whether you need to, to step in and help allow God through the work of his Holy Spirit to, to move you into his plans, this morning one of the things I, I want to call us to is to look to this God who loved us this way, this God who's cared for us this way. Look what the psalmist says. He says about God, you make known to me the path of life. In your presence, there is fullness of joy at your right hand to be in God's will and in his plans are pleasures forevermore. And then as Paul says in Romans 8, and we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. Would you pray with me? Father God, thank you that this is your good plan, that our life, each of us sitting here today, Sit within that plan as you begin to move in our life. And Father God, thank you that we can die to our arrogance of thinking that, that our life's value is by how well we do ourselves, how good of a plan we make, how good we, we operate in it, but rather we can fall on your grace and trust your good plan, your good will for us. Lord God, knowing so often that your will includes things like suffering and difficulty, that it includes trials and disagreements and arguments, Lord God, ways that you use those to grow us in the Holy Spirit, to become more perfect and complete, as James would say. And Father God, would you help us to grasp the limited nature of our life? Lord God, we are but a mist and a breath. Uh, Compared to spending forever with you, this is just a moment that goes by in just a heartbeat. So Lord God, would we redeem each of those moments by putting our faith and our trust in you and your plan. 
would be, would be willing to make those difficult decisions, to move out of comfort when necessary, and Lord God, to submit both our life and doing to you in Jesus Christ. It's in his name I pray. Amen. We're going to take communion together after this song, so if you would take the elements and hold them. I'd like to pray this morning that you would, you would ponder through this song and through your heart before the Lord the amazing plan that God has had for us that comes into culmination at Easter, this moment when we see all the ways that he promised he would care for us, all the ways he would bring us back, brought to truth and reality in Jesus Christ. Thank you for listening to our podcast. To find out more about our church, please visit revolution22.org. We encourage you to not neglect meeting together as believers. And may you continue to love God and love others.